0: John chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. while we're turning there, I thought we'd try something together, okay? This is our smallest service, usually our quietest service. And so here's what I just want us to do. I'm going to to practice something with you, okay, while you're going to John 14. I'm going to say, God is good. And then I just want you to say, amen, okay? So we're going to try this all together and just see what happens. God is good. All right, that's awesome. Nobody died. That was great. And so uh if at any point in the message, if you like something, you can say amen, uh, you can say right on, uh, preach it, uh, that's right, that's a good one, and so, uh, or if you're online, you can just like it or, you know, whatever. If you don't like it, just don't do it. Can you do thumbs down? If you can, don't do that. And so, um, no, it's good to get feedback. Uh, a, a church service is not a place where you have to be super somber. If you like something, you can get feedback in the first service, we have Robert Piercy, who talks a lot during the sermon. You have Randy Moore, who talks a lot all the time, no matter where he is. But especially in the sermon, you have Luke Moore, who also gives a lot of feedback. And so that just helps me kind of know, like, are you guys awake? You tracking? That sort of thing. And so feel free to if you like. If you don't want to say amen, that's fine too. Just wanted to throw that out there. So um, John 14 is where we're going to be as we kick off or as we actually continue in our series we've entitled Resilient. And the whole idea behind this series is that we want to be a church, um, that is filled with resilient disciples, men and women who not only know how to survive, but actually thrive in the midst of the extreme and harsh conditions that we are living in. I saw this picture uh, earlier this week on Twitter and thought it was appropriate to share. Notice this is at a a senior center in California. And notice the sign that says wear a mask, wash your hands, social distance, stay safe. Uh, that's 2020, ladies and gentlemen, pretty much all in one snapshot. And as I shared a couple of weeks ago, you know, the world I said is, is on fire right now. And I meant that metaphorically, but literally, as we know as well, the world is on fire. And the whole purpose of this series is to become a kind of people Who really, again, can only just survive but thrive in the midst of everything that is going on right now. Like, our hope is that we become a church that by how we live, make the place that we're in look less like hell and more like heaven, right? Like, that is the purpose of why we exist as a church. And I know that when I say that, that we are in an uphill battle against that. Uh, When I say that I want us to be a church filled with resilient disciples, I know the wind is not to our back, so to speak, in our culture, but it's kind of in our face pushing us back. And so we talked about it um, last week uh, in the book Faith for Exiles, which is a fantastic book. We read it with our staff um, and our pastors. I would encourage you to grab a copy of this, read it, especially if you're a parent. But in the book Faith for Exiles, Barna Research, they surveyed 18 to 29-year-olds and uh, who grew up in the church to basically kind of find out where they stand in their faith. And I think we can put the stats on the screen for you. Here's what they discovered. This is sobering to me. What they found is that of all the people they surveyed between 18 and 29 years old who grew up in the church, certainly sure, they grew up in the church, just like our kids growing up in the church, right? 22% of them are what they called prodigal. So they've completely, completely punted the faith. Uh, they didn't, they haven't just left the church, like they left Christianity. 33% are nomads. That means that they're like, ah, yeah, like I still like the idea of Jesus, but they certainly are not practicing the way of Jesus. or not connected, uh, whether it's on a Sunday morning or even in an online presence, which that's what many people are, are going to right now. Um, 35% of those they polled are what they called uh, habitual churchgoers. So 35% of people are really just going through the motions. They're just kind of sitting in a pew, they're listening, maybe they're nodding in agreement, taking a few notes, but their lives aren't being transformed. They don't look any more like Jesus this year than they did last year. And then uh, of those they surveyed, they found that 10% are what they identified as resilient disciples. And resilient disciples, really, by their definition, is just basic Christianity. It's someone who's truly following Jesus, someone who's not just being transformed, but is transforming the world around them. And whenever we looked at these stats as a staff, there was a part of us that was like, man, that's really discouraging, and that's really sad. But there's another part of me, whenever I look at that, I get really excited. And the reason I get excited is because if you know your church history, you know that, that God has not changed the world through large, impressive groups, But because God just loves to show off and make himself famous, He loves to bring about revival and shape the world through small, seemingly insignificant groups. He loves to change the world through remnants. And so I look at this and I'm like, man, like this is, this is great. As my grandpa once used to say, dynamite comes in small packages. Right, or as you've heard it said before, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. Like that's what we see throughout history, that God changes the world through small remnants. And so I believe, more than ever, and I really believe this, so there are many things I can look at and be discouraged about. Um, Church attendance right, is one of them, and and, and, uh, pastors are experiencing this. I think most pastors are reporting, I think, uh, not even a half, a third of what they used to experience in, in Sunday attendance. There's things like that that can certainly be discouraging. But what I get encouraged by is when we're in a culture where waves of people are leaving the church, I feel like we now have an opportunity to be a part of the remnant. You have an opportunity to be a resilient disciple, which means you have an opportunity, whether you realize it or not, to now be used by God, I think, in incredible ways in order to transform the world for generations to come. And so in light of that, what we have said is that as pastors, where we're going to focus our time and our energy and our resources and our money moving forward is for two groups of people. We're going to focus on people who are far from God, who want to know God. And then we're going to focus on those who want to be resilient disciples, And what I mean by that is not perfect people, but people who just want to run after what it truly means to be a true, resilient disciple of Jesus. And so what we're doing in this series then is we're just identifying what does it mean to be a resilient disciple of Jesus. And in the first week, what we said is it means to practice the way of Jesus. If you want to be a resilient disciple, you need to be someone who reorients all of your life, not just your Sunday morning, but all of your life around three goals, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and do what he did. So that's the first thing it means to be a resilient disciple. Last week, we talked about to be a resilient disciple means to be rooted in Scripture. So that means you know your Bible, you read your Bible, you seek to obey your Bible, uh, you apply it to your life, to your finances, to your sexuality, to your relationships, to, to all of your existence. And this week, what I want you to see as we continue our series is that if we are going to be resilient disciples, we need to be a people who are filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I just want you to know before I dive into this, if you didn't grow up in um, and, and what we consider more of a charismatic church, if you're anything like me, you probably don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. We're going to do a whole series, by the way, on the Holy Spirit coming up in the fall. Um, this sermon in itself might even push on you a little bit, challenge you. And so what I would encourage you to do is, like always, hopefully, don't take my word for it. Read the Bible, wrestle with the scriptures, and ask yourself, if I don't believe this, why? Right? And so, or if I do believe this, Why? OK, and so I just want to kind of throw that out there before we dive into it. But John chapter 14 is where I want to start. We're going to look in verse 12, John 14, verse 12. I'm reading from the NIV translation, by the way. And if you have uh, a YouVersion Bible app, uh, you can find the notes for the sermon there. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, that is Jesus for sit up, pay attention, wake up. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's like not a literal Greek to English translation, but pretty close. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me. So notice he doesn't say to the apostles, to the pastors, to the varsity Christians, to the super like spiritually elite people, whoever believes in me. So for, I ask you to participate for a second. How many of you in here, no judgment if, if you don't raise your hand on this, how many of you, raise your hand, would say you believe in Jesus? Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus in the room. Okay, I think that's pretty much everybody. Okay? So this is for you. There's a whole bunch of whoever's, right, who just raise their hand. Whoever believes in me, now listen to this, will do the works that I have been doing. Now think about this, and we're going to get crowd participation. What are the works that we see Jesus doing before he is crucified? Let's get some feedback. What are the things that we see Jesus doing before he is actually crucified, during his life? What are the works we see him do? Just give some feedback as things come to your mind. Heal the sick. sick. What's that? Teaching. Casting out demons. What else do we see Jesus do? Think about when you're reading the Gospels and these stories. Raise the dead. It's a pretty good one. Um, Anything else? Feeding the hungry. Yeah, and he's eating with people far from God, right? Inviting them into his life. And we could go on and on. Now, as you think about just some of those things, now hear this again. Verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, you just said that's you, will do the works that I have been doing and... They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the father. Then I just want to read verse 13. as kind of a bonus. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So the father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Let me just ask you, I'm going to pause right now. It has nothing to do with the rest of the sermon. But what is one thing you're asking Jesus for right now in your life? Salvation of a of a child, or a wayward son to return, healing around something in your life, um, a relationship that's going to rise, power over some addiction or sin that's controlling you. What what is it that you're praying? What are you asking God for? I just want to right now take Jesus at His word and let's just carve out a space right where you are, not out loud, but let's just pray and let's ask Jesus to do that in his name. I just want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for each person who is here today and who is watching online, wherever they are. And I just want to take your word as it is. And, And I just want to ask right now that through those who are here and watching, that someone would come to true saving faith today. That you would feel someone afresh with your Holy Spirit. I pray for my own family, for my own kids for their own soul, that they would be captured by you, Jesus. I pray that they would be like little arrows sent out into the world, uh, having a huge impact, uh, way beyond what I could ever impact and way beyond my reach. I I pray that through our church, a small group of people, that that we would truly change the city, change this world, change the society for the good of this world and for the glory of your name. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to run after that because Jesus just told us to. So why would we not try it, right? Verse 12, again, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and even greater things than these they will do. Now, what does Jesus mean whenever he says greater? Anybody know? There's a debate over this. Some scholars say that when Jesus says greater, he means greater in quality, which I don't know, Troy, you said raise the dead. I don't know how you get greater than that. I don't know if there's like fireworks after we do it, if that's your stance, right? So there's some say it's greater than Jesus's works. We tend to believe as pastors, it doesn't mean that, that we will do greater works as far as in quality, but in quantity. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus could, thank you for that, amen. Jesus could only do works in one place at one time, right? He was just one person, one place at one time. That's where his mighty works and miracles were. But now, because he has gone with his father, and we'll talk more about this in a moment, and he has sent us his Holy Spirit, guess what can happen? We now can do those same works anywhere we are in any part of the world. So whenever Jesus says you'll do greater works than these, he doesn't mean quality, he means quantity. Now, whether you agree with me on that or not, one thing I think we can agree on is this. Whatever Jesus means by greater, he don't mean lesser. He, he doesn't mean when he says greater things, he doesn't mean actually you'll never come close to doing this. I'm just talking, right? I'm just making stuff up as I go. Like, that's not what he's getting at here. When Jesus says greater, he means greater. And it's so important that we get this today because for many of us, and I grew up this way, I would look at Jesus do the stuff he would do, and I'd say, of course he did it. He's God in the flesh. If I was God, I could do that too, but I'm not God, so I can't do that. Go read the book of Philippians. When Jesus came to this earth, he emptied himself of his godlike power. He became, he took on fully 100% human being, and then he did what he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when you read the Gospel of Luke, go read that this week. Luke, over and over and over, says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, did this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, did that. Why does he say that? Why not just say, he went and healed somebody, why I say full of Holy Spirit he did it? Because he wants you to know that's where Jesus got his power from while he was on earth. Through the Holy Spirit. This is why Luke then went on and he wrote the book of Acts. And what is the book of Acts about? The book of Acts, Luke is saying, hey, what Jesus just started in the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to now continue through the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is why when you look in Acts, go ahead and turn with me there actually. Acts chapter 1. Look at the way the whole thing starts. This is just Luke's way of kind of setting the narrative and saying, "Hey, here's the direction we're going." Kind of like whenever I start a sermon and I tell you, "Like, hey, this is what we're we're doing. This is what this is what Acts." I mean, Luke is starting a sermon here. He's saying, "Like, hey, here's where we're going." Now, here's kind of the table of contents, so to speak. He says this, Acts chapter one, verse four. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command: Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my. Or wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus says here is, hey, disciples, I love you guys, but just a moment, I'm going to leave and go back to heaven. And when I do, don't get antsy. Actually, don't go do any ministry. Because if you try to go do ministry without my Holy Spirit, you're going to mess it all up. Especially you, Peter. Right? So like, stay where you are. That's what Jesus just said. That's verse six. I love this about the disciples. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, did they even listen to what Jesus just said? They're just asking now, like, hey, when's the end of times going to be? And I love Jesus' response. He's basically like, put away your end of time charts, guys. Like, it's not what this conversation is about. He said it in verse seven. It's not for you to know the times and the dates the father has set by his own authority. Verse eight. Here's what I want to focus on. But you will receive, what's the word? Power. I would circle that if I were you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here's what Jesus just said. Jesus said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be with my father. And when I go to be with my father, it's actually going to be better for you. He says this in one place in the book of John. It's actually better that I go to be with my father. Why? Because I'm about to send you my Holy Spirit. And whenever you receive my Holy Spirit, whenever you are filled, when you are baptized, that's the language you use, you're baptized with my Holy Spirit, what are you going to receive? Power. And the word for power here is literally the Greek word dunamos, which is where we get our English word from, dynamite. And so what Jesus just said is this. How do you know someone truly becomes a born-again Christian? You receive an explosive power inside of you. You receive my very spirit. Paul says this in Romans 8, 11, that you as a disciple of Jesus have now, through the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead living in you. You ever thought about that? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you If you are a follower of Jesus, that's a lot of power. That's a lot of power. That's the power to do things you don't have any ability to do in your own power. You now have a strength. You have a power to do things that you never thought were imaginable. And notice, according to this text, for what reason? Why do you receive the Holy Spirit according to Jesus? It's not just so you can get warm and fuzzies. It's not just so you can show up on a Sunday and just have all this amazing worship experience and get, you know, Holy Spirit bumps or whatever. It's not. You don't just receive the Spirit so that you can be happy rather than sad or peaceful rather than anxious. But according to Jesus, why do we receive the Holy Spirit? So that we can begin to live as his witnesses. In other words, please hear this, guys. Please hear this. The reason you receive the Holy Spirit is so that you now have the power by how you live your life to live in such a way that when people look at you, they say, obviously, Jesus is alive. Think about that. When's the last time someone has looked at your life and said, I I don't know a lot, but I know this. Jesus must have really got out of the grave because I'm looking at his life and I'm looking at my life and that is through two different lives this is what our world desperately needs right now. It's what it desperately needs. When we first started the church, one of the first guys I had an opportunity to lead to Jesus was a guy by the name of Caleb. And Caleb told me that he grew up in the church, but he no longer believed in God. Grew up in a church home, good Christian parents. No longer believes in God. I actually met him at the gym. And um, I asked him, why doesn't he believe in God? Here's his reason. Because he said, dude, when I look at the church and I look at the world, I don't see any difference. It's like the people I look at in my own life, including my own parents, they say they believe the God of the universe lives in them, and I see no more power in their life than I see in my pagan lost friends who I go to frat parties with. And so I just conclude there must not be a God. If a God that powerful lives in you, but your life looks no different than me, there must not be a God. The whole reason the Holy Spirit wants to come and live inside of you is to crush that argument. Holy Spirit doesn't just come and live inside of you and just be like, I'm just going to kind of hang out here just so you know I'm here. Like every now and then, like maybe convict you of sin and that's it. The Spirit is a dynamite, massive, world-creating power. And whenever he comes and he lives inside of us, guys, our lives, I would expect at least, will look a little bit different than the person who doesn't have the spirit of God. Our lives, and this is my prayer through this whole COVID thing, is I thought, man, how awesome would it be if we became a church so filled with the spirit that our lives became as infectious as the coronavirus, except in a good way. Like wherever we go, rather than bringing sickness, we bring healing. Rather than bringing death, we bring life. And not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. And you know what breaks my heart? As I know as I say this, that the majority of us just don't believe it's possible. Like, like, like the majority of us, I think we, we hear this. We're like, oh, that would be kind of neat. But then it, here's what frustrates me. When we read the book of Acts, we know that this looks way different. Than what we typically see in the American church. Yes? Way different. And I think somewhere along the way, and I don't know how it happened, we begin to believe that God just doesn't want the church to look like this anymore. It's almost like we've become to, to believe that because we have the Bible, that now God is like, I'm actually going to pull back all my power and all of my signs and wonders so that you can show the world how amazing I am by you actually not having any more power than they did in the New Testament. It doesn't make any sense. But this is the way many of us believe for many of us. We have reduced church to basically like showing up or not even really that anymore. Maybe checking it out online or a podcast, listening to someone preach and then like, you know, maybe sing a few songs, give some money, which is all great. This is all we wouldn't do it. If we didn't think there were great things. But then we're like the whole point is just trying to be a pretty nice person in the name of Jesus and hopefully live to be an old person, die my sleep and then go to heaven when I die. And I just want to say, and I mean this with humility, And love, but if that's the point of church, no wonder people are walking away. No wonder people are leaving. People have better things to do than to come and just hear me preach if all this is is just a transfer of information. There's a gazillion things that are I could I could I'm the one preaching and I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't want to come and just hear me preach all the time and just throw out information out there. If there's no power involved in any of this, man, I think the church in so many ways has become more like this religious rotary club. And I'm, I'm, I'm for the rotary club. I got friends in it. But it's, the church is not meant to be a religious rotary club for Christians. It's meant to be a transformation hub for the world. Does that make sense? Whenever I was um, looking to start the church, I'll never forget this. One morning, 2 a.m., a man calls me 2 a.m., and I thought he was having a heart attack or someone had died, so I answered it. I was actually in Alabama at the time, um, and I'm sitting there in Alabama. I get this call at 2 a.m., and the guy's like, hey, Jared, I got it. I know what the name of your church should be. You guys are like a railroad city, right? Railroad town. I'm like, yeah, and he's like, how about this? Here's the name of your church. Ready for it? The Transformation Station. No, that's not a good place to say amen, Troy. I appreciate it, but I was like... I I was like, I was like, no, but actually, you know what? You're right. It is a good place to amen because when you think about it, that is what the church should be. Cheesy name, but very true. Like we should be a transformation station. Like, this should be a place where people, as they are here, are becoming more and more like Jesus. We're being radically transformed from the inside out. And therefore, as a result, not only are we being transformed, we're transforming the world around us. We're living as salt. We're living as light. Like, this is what it means to be the church. That's exciting to be a part of. But here's the thing. That will never happen apart from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how great a preaching we have. It doesn't matter how impressive our marketing Online presence is amen, Heather. all right? It doesn't matter. Heather's on our staff, by the way. She does a lot of our online stuff. That's why I said it was like, why is she, why is he preaching to that lady all of a sudden? Um, and so, it, it doesn't matter how good our band is. It doesn't what we need if we're going to be the church God's called us to be is we desperately need the Holy Spirit. We need to be a people who are filled with and empowered by the Spirit. So here's the question: I just want to try to answer in the time we have left. How can you? How can I live in such a way that we are filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit? That's the question I want to try to answer, okay? And I wish somebody would have taught me this early on in my walk with Jesus. Nobody ever taught me this. I grew up in a church that I would say was a sensationist church. Well, that's just a fancy way of saying, like, basically what we believe was the Trinity was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Does that make sense? Talked a lot about the Father. Talked a lot about the Son. We talked a whole lot about the Bible, the Word of God, right? But there wasn't a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit. We didn't know what to do with him. He was kind of that crazy uncle that you just had to have at at the, you know, the reunion. You invited. He had to be there, but you didn't know anything about him. You didn't really want him. It's awkward, right? And so I, I didn't know any of this stuff, wasn't taught about any of this stuff. And so I hope this really benefits you. It would have really benefited me early on to learn this. Um, and so here it is. How do you walk filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit? I believe we can put it on the screen for you. Here's the simple formula. Simple yet profound. It's intimacy plus faith plus holiness equals greater spiritual power. I'm going to say a short word on each of these and then we'll be done. First off, if you want to be a person who is filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit, someone who lives in such a way that people look at your life and say, clearly Jesus is alive. First thing you've got to get is intimacy. Foundational to the life of a disciple of Jesus is someone who pursues a personal intimate relationship with Jesus. Let me say it like this. You will never experience the power of God if you do not learn how to abide in the presence of God. The more you learn how to walk and step with and abide in the presence of God, the more power that will begin to come out of your life. And so let me just say, I'll use this as an example. I actually used to work out at the gym, believe it or not. Okay, I'll blame it on COVID-19. So that's what everybody blames stuff on anyway. So I'll just blame my lack of membership. So worked out at Anytime Fitness, a couple of members in our church, Kyle Lane, Grant Pickney, uh, uh, run that gym. And um Here's the thing. When I used to work out, if I wanted to try to bench press more than what I probably thought I could lift, I wanted to really push myself. Okay? And there's nobody around except maybe my brother. He's working there. I don't lay down in the bench press and be like, I'm just going to harness the power of Grant Pickney, harness the power of Grant Pickney, you know? And then just start benching. Harness the power of Uh, Grant. I'm not going to do that. Be foolish. What I'm going to do is if I know I'm about to try to bench weight that I can't lift, is I'm going to go to my brother's office and I'm going to say, hey, man, will you come and spot me? Does that make sense? Here's my point in sharing that. It's because I have a relationship with my brother, I then get access to my brother's power. It's not if there's just this powerful force out there that I'm like trying to yield it, be like, like some sort of like Jedi Knight. Because I have a relationship with my brother, I have access to the power of my brother. And the same is true with God. The deeper your intimacy is with God, the more power is going to be coming through in your life. Does that make sense? And so we have intimacy. Next, we have faith. We probably don't like to hear this, but there is a direct correlation between the amount of faith you have and the amount of power you're going to see coming through your life. Now, Jesus says we just need the faith the size of a mustard seed to move mountains. So you don't even have to have a lot of faith. You don't need a lot of faith, but you do need faith. And faith, please hear me. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Meaning... If you are going to be a person who lives by faith, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to attempt things that are beyond your own ability. And and this is, you know, this is something that changes throughout our life. Um, And this is something that's different for everybody. What takes faith for me may not take faith for you. I was telling someone in the early service, it takes a whole lot of faith for me to get on a plane. It takes probably zero faith for you to get on a plane, I'm guessing, Kyle. I mean, as much as you fly. That takes a lot of faith for me. A lot of faith for me. Does that make sense? So what takes faith for me might not take faith for you. And I'd say this, what required faith of me 10, 15, 20 years ago may not require any faith of me now. So I can't just keep doing that. like, oh, Like, for example, when I first started a college ministry, for the first year and a half, I never spoke at the very college ministry that I started. Who's ever heard of something like that? I started college ministry because I want to impact a bunch of college students for Jesus, and I won't even speak at it because I was so afraid I would screw it up. I didn't think I knew the Bible enough. I didn't think I had the gift of preaching and teaching. So for the first year and a half, I would have either other college students speak at the event or other pastors in our area speak at it. So the very first time I ever got up to preach, I thought honestly I was going to vomit all over the place. I mean, it took a lot of faith for me to get up and preach. Fast forward now, I'm 37 years old, been doing it for a while. It don't require that level of faith anymore. I know I've got a gift of preaching and teaching, right? I know the scriptures, so it doesn't require that level of faith. And listen, my whole point of just sharing that is just saying this. If you want to grow in the power of the Spirit, you've got to find ways to continue to step out of your comfort zone. You can't live off of that big, amazing thing you did 15, 20 years ago. You have to continue to take risks. And this is something that I'm learning. There's a pastor that I connect with uh, in Long Beach, California, and... Um, He's actually good friends with Francis Chan. Nobody would know this guy's name, but he's got a really famous like friend, you know, who like really loves Jesus. And uh, so I'll know I'll never get close to Francis Chan. So I just like I'll become friends with this guy. And so um, because he's learning from Francis, and then I can kind of learn. So then I can kind of tell people like Francis is my buddy, right, or whatever. And so um, so someone's like, just get back to preaching, please, Jared. And so what my friend Darren has told me recently is he said, Jared, I want you to take a risk every single day in order to grow in your faith. Every single day, he said, I either want you to pray for healing, I want you to share your faith, or give generously. Because those are all three things that take a lot of faith for me. To pray for healing for someone, to give generously, because I can tend to be pretty greedy. And, and he said, you know, to, to share your faith. One of those three things. And I'll be honest, I've not done this, like, perfectly, but I have, like, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll rise to the challenge. Like, I'm going to seek to do this. And what I've discovered is actually this. Do you know that on the days that I actually step out, not all of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, you know what happens? God actually shows up and does powerful things in me and through me. It's weird. It actually happens. And so I could give you several stories. The one I want to give you, I'm not going to give you right now because I'm actually going to share it in three weeks. I think it works better in another sermon I'm going to preach on healing in three weeks. Um, but I'd like to share it. But there's a part of me it's like, no one's going to remember if I share it anyway because they don't remember from week to week, right? And so it's like, but anyway, I'm not going to share. I will share this though. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, we walk around the block uh, before our kids get up and, uh, just talk, hang out, whatever. And there's this lady that's been sitting on our front porch and I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray over her, which is like, that's still weird to me. Okay. Like I grew up Baptist, just so you know, a little bit of my context. That's still weird to me. So it's like, ah, and so this guy kind of felt prompted from the spirit. Finally, I just feel the spirit say, this is your last opportunity, the last chance I'm going to give you to do this, to be a part of it. Right. And, and so I'm in my, uh, house. My wife and I are about to go. And I was like, God, could you at least just like give me the name of this girl? That's how little my faith is. I'm like, could you just like give me a name or something? So a name comes to my mind. I'm not going to tell you the name because I don't want to reveal her identity, but name comes to my mind. Me and Megan, my wife's here in the back row. um, We talked about this and we come around the corner. There she is sitting on our front porch, kind of looking at her phone. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And I stop. I'm like, hey, She's like, hello? And I'm like, do I know you from somewhere? And she's like, well, I'm in a commercial. And I'm like, well, I don't have cable. And I was like, what's your name? And she told me her name. It's the exact same name that God had given me. Okay, which by the way, some of you are like, that's a coincidence. Okay, fine, you can believe that, but you're never gonna have those coincidences if you don't start stepping out. So I'll just say that. Um, so gives me a name and I'm like, okay, now my confidence is building. Because so I'm like, I, I don't believe it's a coincidence. I think God really has gone before me and told me this. So I just said, hey, I just want you to know that, that, I believe God wants you to know that he sees you and he loves you. Which, by the way, is that true? Does God see her? And does he love her? That's not a crazy thing. If I said that to you, let me ask you something. What would you do? Thank you, probably, most of us. But here's what's crazy. I share that with her. Generic, God sees you and he loves you. You know what she does? She begins to cry. She said, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that. She said, we just moved here. I'm working a very hard job right now. My husband's in the military. He's traveling, and I just now had to move with my mom because a bunch of stuff's going on. And I told her last night, I don't even know why I'm here anymore, what the purpose of of this is. She's beginning to cry. So then my wife and I walked up her driveway, and at that point, I prayed over her. And I think it was really more for me. I was like, man, God, like, he really is doing this. He really moves. He really wants us to be a conduit of his love. By the way, that's how you know if you need to do this stuff. If you're ever just like, is this about me or is it about God? Like, should I do this or not do that? Ask yourself this question is what I'm about to do is because I want other people to experience God's love. And if the answer to that question is yes, then you do it. Well, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Exactly. That's why it takes faith because you might get rejected. They might be like, okay, thanks, right? Or whatever. Another example I have is there was a guy that's been walking uh, his dog uh, for the last couple years. I see him almost every week. I sit on the front porch uh, spending time reading scripture and he walks by and i was just kind of waving. him. I didn't know his name anyway. And one day, this is probably three weeks ago ish, he walks by the house and I just let the spirit prompt me to go pray for healing for his heart. Not like spiritual healing, but like physical healing, like, and not just from like my rocking chair on the front porch, but like go and, and out loud, pray for him. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. You know? And, um, I didn't just go up and put my hand on his forehead. I thought about telling y'all that's what I did just to uh, creep you out. And like, but I didn't do that. I just like walked up and I started sort conversation and I just said, um, Hey, have you, by chance, had, had heart issues? And he said, yeah, actually, I have. I just had a stint put in, and I actually had open-heart surgery just a couple years ago. They can't figure out, just my heart continues to have issues. It's like, all right, well, God told me to pray for your heart. I don't know this guy. Didn't know his name or anything, and so just pray right there. And I don't know if God healed his heart. I trust that he, he's done something, some sort of work. And there's other stories I could share, but my whole point is just simply to say This. I know that sounds weird. I know it sounds scary. I know to some of you it sounds just there's all sorts of caution that you have around that because of abuses you've seen in the charismatic world. I know that it means giving up control. I know that it means maybe facing rejection. But here's what I really believe. I believe that those of you that are sitting in this room today and those watching online, you long for this life. This is the life you want to give yourself to. I believe that because I believe the Holy Spirit's in you and he's calling you to this. Some of you right now are bored out of your minds with Christianity. And it's okay, you can say that. I don't blame it. I don't blame you. Some of you are bored out of your minds. Some of you feel spiritually apathetic. Maybe you even feel like your soul is shriveling up and dying. And what I would say to you is if you want to start growing, if you want to truly experience God's power in you and through you, you've got to start exercising your faith. You've got to take risk. You have to step out of your comfort zone. And so I would, as a homework assignment, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're here right now and you're bored with the Christian faith, here's something you can do this week. Go find the darkest place in our city, wherever you think that is, and just start walking around and praying and watch what happens. I promise you do that kind of stuff, you won't be bored very long. I promise you won't be. God will do incredible things in you and through you. So you have intimacy, you have faith. And then lastly, And I think, honestly, this is probably the most important one for the cultural moment we're living in. You have holiness. Guys, this is the one right here. Some of you are like, okay, like, I'm out. Like, bring the band up. (laughs) Don't talk on holiness, please. Um, If you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to pursue a holy life. I'm going to say that again. If you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to pursue a holy life. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our nation is in a crisis right now. I was talking to my grandma this past week. Um, She's a chateau on the ridge, went up and talked to her through the little glass, whatever. She's like, I'm 90 years old, and I've never seen anything like this. It's insane the way people are acting right now. And I think the reason it is is because we have made our own personal experience and our own emotions the ultimate authority over our life rather than the Word of God. And we have got to bring ourselves back under the Scriptures. No more playing the game of I'm going to choose this part of the Bible. I like that part. I don't like that part. I'm going to follow this. I'm not going to follow that. I'll get around to that later. If we want to be resilient disciples, we must be people who pursue a holy life. And holiness, by the way, simply means to be set apart. It means to be set apart from the world and to be set apart for God. So holiness is about avoiding some things and then adding other things. So avoiding, if God said stay away from it, stay away from it. I don't know what that may mean for you, I don't know if it's a relationship that's pulling you down. I don't know if it's pornography. I don't know whether it's self righteousness or greed or lust or immorality of whatever kind. You've got to avoid that stuff. And then you don't just avoid that. You also have to add things into your life to fill yourself with what is good. Spending time in the scriptures, praying, fasting, stepping into community. And listen, I know this isn't easy but you will never stumble onto godliness. There is no easy button for holiness. I wish there was. There is no easy button for holiness. And so if you want to be a resilient disciple of Jesus, you're going to have to come to a place of no compromise. And I'll tell you right now, that is very hard in our culture, guys, because there are so many things that the world will tell you it's okay to do this and be a Christian, and it's not. It's just not. So we must become a no compromise people. We have to stop doing things like making confession the new repentance. Does that make sense? It's almost like in our culture now, we think that if I just confess my sin, that's all God really cares about. No, it isn't. He wants you to repent. He doesn't just want you to say, hey, I've been looking at porn this week. Just thought I'd let you know, so I'm a big man for that. Like, No, he wants you to stop looking at porn. He wants you to actually repent. Because we need to recover that word. Repentance is not a bad word. Repentance means you're going to experience a deeper life and deeper fulfillment and deeper satisfaction. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That is a verse about avoiding some things and adding others. That is not a verse, by the way, about drinking alcohol. He could have easily said anything else. He could have said, Don't be controlled by marijuana. He could have said, Don't be controlled by social media. He could have said, Don't be controlled by your job. Don't be controlled by your money. The whole point is he's just saying is you need to clean out your garage and make room for the Holy Spirit. That's what he is saying there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says, Lay aside every weight and sin that entangles you. We know what a sin is, right? So, whenever we don't do things God's told us to do, clearly in Scripture, or we do things He's clearly told us not to do. Anybody know what a weight is in the spiritual sense? A weight is nothing that is sinful in itself. It's neutral, but it's something that can lead you to sin. Again, social media, TV. Netflix, a certain relationship. And so here's the question, and we're almost done this morning, but here's the question you need to be asking yourself. If you want to be a resilient disciple of Jesus, here it is. You need to stop waking up in the morning and saying, I don't know if you're asking this, but don't ask this question. The the wrong question to ask is, is this right or is this wrong? That's the wrong question to ask. The question you've got to start asking if you want to become a resilient disciple of Jesus is, does this stir my heart towards Jesus or does it rob me of affections towards Jesus? You understand how different that question is? Is what I'm about to do, look at, listen to, taste, touch, feel, does that allow me to be filled more with the Holy Spirit or less with the Holy Spirit? And if the answer is less, if you want to be a resilient disciple, you say no to it. You say no to it. And so the formula, again, if you want to walk in spiritual power, it's intimacy, plus faith, plus holiness, equals greater spiritual power. As we come in for a landing this morning, listen to Jesus' words again. For whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater things than this he will do. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? John Stott says this, what we need is not more learning. Not more eloquence. That's what I tend to think as a pastor. Man, if I could just have preached a more eloquent sermon this morning, lives would have been changed. Not true. Not true. What we need is not more learning. It's not more eloquence. It's not more persuasion. It's not more organization, which is another thing I love with my administrative hat. More organization. More programs. But what the church ultimately needs is more power from the Holy Spirit. I'll end with this. This is from the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. We'll end here. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of extreme and harsh conditions, in the midst of severe suffering, but you received it with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Paragold, not only in Greene County, northeast Arkansas, Not only in Macedonia or Achaia, your faith in God became known everywhere. And that was before social media. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit falls on a church. Man, I want to be a part of that church. Where we begin to live, maybe if it's even just a handful of us, in such a way as Spirit-empowered, resilient disciples that the good news of the real resurrected Jesus begins to spread not only here, but throughout the whole world. And we see more of God's kingdom come and his will be done here as it is in heaven.